Konnasi, how are you? Uh, I'm sitting down with my brother Aaron, my name is Sarika, we are the co-founders of Candlelit Tales and Happy New Year. It's a new year. It doesn't feel like a new year in some ways, but it's a new year. Uh, we're recording this from Cork. We often do live streams, but we're taking a little bit of a break from that in January and we are going to pre-record these. So, uh, first of all, thank you to our Patreon supporters who bought us these new mics and equipment and pay for the equipment that we use to, to make these podcasts. And we have a couple of announcements before we get into the chat. So. You do indeed, you do indeed. So, my name is Aaron Hegarty, I'm the other co-founder of Candlelit Tales, and I guess we are in another lockdown. We have a new year, we have a new mailing uh, list, well... A new email got on the mailing list thanks to Rue O'Shea and uh, if you're not on our mailing list well you can DM us or email us at candletales.ie and uh, you can get out of that. Uh, what we're talking about at the moment and um, what we're get, getting excited about is our storytelling course the arc of storytelling. So Sarika tell us a bit about the storytelling course. Well we've been talking about doing a storytelling course for a long time yeah. Like most of our ideas, this was kind of conceived of and thought of probably six months to a year before we actually, like, it, anybody else heard about it. Um, because a lot of people have been doing courses over Zoom in the course of the various lockdowns that have been happening. And we kind of, we had been actually talking about doing a course, a physical in-person course, kind of this time last year, actually. Mm -hmm. But the thing that we kept running up against and the logistical hurdle that we kept having was like, how are we going to get people together and like booking a space to run it in and all that kind of stuff. So we've, we've had this kind of in mind for a long time. And part of it is, you know, the way that we got better at storytelling was by kind of giving each other feedback and critique and sort of learning on the job. And we've distilled a few things that are very helpful from sure. that. And we've also run training courses for my streets, um, who are a social enterprise who retrained people who retrain people uh, who've experienced homelessness as tour guides, and we've kind of found an, a a workshop approach that we really like and that gets really good results. But you also have taught me a whole other series of things I didn't quite know I would be learning about because of your experience in teaching. Well, this has also been an interesting aspect of it is that uh, I, in my previous life as a as a branding consultant, um. Part of what I did with, with Alexander Dunlop and ADL was teach a course in uh, the analysis of culture through story. And what that ended up giving me was a kind of a vocabulary for talking about some of the ways that we construct stories. Things like semiotics and things like, um, you know, archetypal journeys and things like basic plots. and. Actually, now, while I was going at that from a point of view and I was teaching that course in Griffith College uh, for the three years that we taught it, from a point of view of analysis, uh, a lot of that stuff is actually also very helpful for storytelling and construction of narrative. Massively, yeah. Some of it isn't. A lot of it is. So we've kind of looked at some of that and sort of pulled out the bits that are... Um, pulled out the bits that are relevant for building a story and creating a story and our favorite parts of it and like i have managed to put it together you know in an online course recently taught through cd tv in dublin who yeah. wanted an online something 
because I teach drama and I do workshops and I've been doing kind of half storytelling, half drama workshops for years now, including improv, including mm. kind of the, the, the games that you use in drama and then pulling on the fact that you don't need a script for storytelling. You don't necessarily need one and yet you know the building blocks and learning to master, I guess, uh, how to distill an awful lot of information into a narrative sequence of events and then perform and focus on the performative elements as well as the actual the diction and, and the, the basics of being heard and then understanding other other aspects around story mm -hmm. plot analysis deeper meanings of story this and then a there's a lot of stuff and then of course because we decided to do a candlelit tale storytelling we decided to wrap all of that in irish mythology of course which is what we've been working on for the last while so it's kind of uh, it's a course it is more a course in the how to tell stories but the way that we're going to be exploring those lessons and the kind of material that we're going to be working with in this course is the material of Irish mythology. Not all of it, because that would require far more than a six-week course, but that's, we're, we're gonna, that's what we're going to be using as to work with. Our content, yeah. And yeah, as our kind of building blocks. The building blocks that we're going to take rather than making it you know, fairy tale, which we've sometimes done, or folk tale, which we've often done. We're going to make it, you know, we're going to take Irish mythology as our as our kind of foundation that hmm. we're going to be playing around in. That's yeah, the sandbox, yeah. like that's, the sandbox. that's what we're going that's to like, No, I'm, 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 really, I'm really looking forward to it. The course is starting on the 9th. And if you want to uh, get in touch and ask if there's any places left, do indeed, faces are filling up. And luckily, uh, our patron Patreon supporters get a bit of a discount because... They're very helpful and they've been keeping us going, motivated and honestly God, without that level of motivation and inspiration to keep us going, we wouldn't be spreading out these stories. But let's get on from Well, this. I want to say one more thing about this. What's that? Which I think is important and I really only just thought about this. So if you, you disagree, we can cut it. <laughs> we won't be cutting it. But, um, <laughs> Who likes editing these things? On the same basis that we've always run Candlelit Tales, we've always run it as a kind of a you know, you can come in and you can uh, listen and you can pay if you can. Yeah. And while we can't do that for a storytelling course necessarily, I would also like to say that if you would really think this is something that would be very valuable to you, and if you think that it is too expensive or if you can't swing it right now, please get in touch with us and tell us that. Yeah. And please get in touch with us anyway and say, I'd love to, you know, if you'd love to do it, but you can't swing it right now, let us know. And let's see if we can if we can do something. Yeah, of course. Because I I would never want someone to look at that and go, okay, this is, because we you know we're artists. We've dealt with huge financial insecurity as you always do when you're working in the arts. And so I would never want to bar somebody from doing something that I'm no, doing. Yeah, very good point. On that on that basis, so we've set a price and we've set a we've set a course that like we think is is good and worth it. But if that's if that is your only barrier please talk to us before yeah. deciding that you can't do it for that 100%, 100%. reason. Because there's probably something we can figure out. And like, you know, this storytelling course, the trainings that we do, we've built uh, a company, a group of musicians and storytellers that we can gig with, that we can perform with as a means of being able to pass the hat, being able to get into festivals, being able to do workshops, being able to perform in family events as well as adult events as a way of earning a living, as a way, yeah. way of monetizing our creativity yeah. because as a performer as a writer as a 
group of performers, it is very difficult to monetize creativity. It always is and always has been. Our mother is an artist and she was an art teacher in Cork Prison until relatively recently, mm -hmm. you know, and, and she had to teach. And teaching is one of the greatest ways of monetizing creativity and spreading that inspiration and learning and, and getting some yeah. value and meaning out of the thing that you're putting out. But there. it's it's always that kind of dialectic as well of like, uh, particularly for other artists, I don't want to be like, well, you can't do it because you can't afford it. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so many times we've been in that position where we're like, God, I'd love to do that, but it costs like 10 grand. And, and a woman you know? that was in my... Uh, by my drama uh, masters in theater um ma sorry my masters in drama and theater in, in Gola got there eventually uh, of course she did the storytelling course on uh through CDTV and it was me kind of half learning to do it over over Zoom but it was fantastic to do it was great for her to do great for me to be able to do it was great fun we all came to the end of it and we're like shit this is the end now um, <laughs> and and it, the incremental learning that went on each week was fantastic to see so. Um, I'm really looking forward to doing that course with Sorka this time yeah. and whoever else and, is and through mythology and, and we're looking forward to meeting those of you who have already got your place on the course we are really looking forward to meeting you guys and working with you guys yes indeed and anybody else who's interested like I said get in touch let us know and that's I think now we should probably move on to talking about the story that we're going to talk about fair I think we should I think we should and um, I mean I, I'm very excited we're talking about Queen Maeve because our uh, the I guess the death of of Maeve as I put up uh, on <laughs> on one of our Instagram stories. This is this podcast was released and someone got in touch with one message saying, "Cheese," uh, so she knew the inside and out of it. And I haven't listened to the podcast already. Go back and listen to last week's. It's re recently released. Queen Maeve, the famous, brilliant hero of Connacht, has an awful lot of. Um, She's, she, she, she pulls uh, a few different opinions and she's a, lot of, she's a contentious character. Oh, yeah. But let's start with where you kind of started off this story, which is, fake, which is with Cloughrew, her sister. Yeah, because right. Maeve... Well, to give, I think, to give the, the short summary of the death of Maeve, um, it does, it goes back to Maeve's family of origin and particularly this one sister, Cloughrew, who is an extraordinary figure. Uh, apparently she was also Queen of Connacht. She spent some time in the other world. And she decided that what she wanted to do was she wanted to be the founder of a lineage of kings. And I think this is one of those stories that like probably the connotations in the time that it was first composed are quite different to what they are today. Because what Clover decided to do was she decided to have... Uh, an incestuous relationship with first her brothers. She had triplet brothers. So much incest in Irish mythology. And then she had, yeah, so a lot of the time it's accidental, but in Clutter's case was it absolutely not wasn't. Not accidental at all. <laughs> and then and she did this intentionally to kind of concentrate the blood of the kings, because she was a daughter of kings and woman kings, and so were her brothers, and so she kind of decided to distill that down. And had a son called Criven Nianar, uh, who's actually quoted in MacDougall's Pig as saying, never trust a woman. Which I think is really interesting, because he was the son of Clotru, and he was Criven Nianar because he had three stripes, he had, or he had two stripes. He had, uh, he had a stripe across his neck and a, stri a stripe across his, his waist, which showed that he was the son of three fathers, because he looked like each of them in his different parts. Head, body, yeah. legs. He had the head of one, the body of the other, and, and the legs of the, of the third. And then, where it gets real sticky, 
is that Clutteru then slept with him when he was growing up Ooh. and had a son by him as well. Uh, now, she's a, she Next occupies up. a really interesting place in Irish culture because the Christians absolutely vilified her, which is totally fair because incest, particularly parent-child incest, is real fucking bad and real dark. Mm. And I don't, want to, I don't want anybody to misunderstand me on this. Any mm. incest, like incest generally, it's a pretty universal taboo. So she was very much vilified by the church, but at the same time, most medieval Irish kings trace their lineage from her and the lineage of Criven Leonor. Oh. And so she had this weird... Status thing. Sta- yeah. Like, it was kind of like what she did was super fucked up. Everybody knows that, but at the same time, she's my great, 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 whatever. And right. that's why I have the, the stones to be the king here. And, because that's yeah. my lineage and that's how pure and it is. she was the mother of the line of kings, like, which was the legends. She achieved her goal. The other thing about Clotheru, and the reason that she comes into Maeve's death story, is that one of her, or her last, her last husband, was Cruhor Macnessa. And she had a son named Ferbwitha by Cruhor Macnessa. The story goes that Maeve killed her while she was pregnant and cut the child out of her. Now we know that Maeve and Crohor absolutely fucking hated each other. And a bad marriage went wrong and... And had a bad marriage and subsequently he raped her and we know all of that stuff. She, the story goes that she killed Clotteru and cut the child out of her. So Furbwither, the baby survived and actually the baby was born with horns on his head. So whether he could have been born without a cesarean section is a little bit uh, unclear. Jeez, he got um, out anyway. Got out anyway. But he got out and he survived Fuck. and Clutter didn't. And But when I was researching this story, I found a piece of information that said that uh, there are some accounts that say that it was actually Criven Neonor who killed Clutter and not Maeve. Hmm. So I decided to incorporate that into the story. I decided to kind of like make that a little bit like, you know, she never went around saying that she did it. She was pretty happy to say that she killed Cahor McNess's children. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, know? like, she was, she was a, 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 an amazing character. So was Clotheru. And I, I, I was fascinated by the fact that Clotheru was also a woman king of Connacht. Yeah. Again, for those who are, are not, uh, are, you know, speakers of, of Irish who don't, don't understand the woman king, the Ban is, is king. Ban is woman king and... That's kind of the translation the that's usually given for queen. So yes. we, we kind of took it as like, God, it, it feels different, doesn't it? Woman, king. It does. It's, I fucking like it. I, I like it too. I like <laughs> it too. I think it's a different energy. It's something about, there's something about a way, a way of, we, we've talked before about kind of masculine and feminine energies. And I think you could have, you know, I think woman, king and man, queen are things that can exist. Totally, yeah. Uh, and I think they are very different. But they're, 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 like, they're, you know, performers dress up in drag and, and be, call themselves queens, like, you know. And, and totally. It, that, that, for me, is... Just I hadn't thought of it that way, but actually, yeah, but absolutely. It, it's completely, it feels like a, a, a female going into the male kind of yeah. d- domain of, like, I'm a woman king, 
do exactly as I say and I'm yeah. going to operate in a very manly masculine form and I think and that's something really interesting about Maeve and I think that's one of the reasons that she's so controversial and she's so hated opposed to the word it's queen is like yeah, well, queen sitting behind the king well not being, even necessarily behind the king I think a queen role I think a, a queen rulership is much more about facilitating connections between people Mm. Whereas I think a king rulership is like everybody connect to me and do what I say and you don't need to worry about each other. Mm. But a queen rulership is very like, there's a brilliant, um, there's a brilliant scene that I remember doing an analysis of for, for, um, ADL when I was working with them to kind of give you an encapsulation of what the queen energy is. Oh yeah. And it's from the early part of Game of Thrones and it's where Caitlin Stark goes into an inn and gets the men in the inn to arrest mm. Tyrion. And she does it brilliantly because she walks in and she goes, you, you're related to this person who's related to this person who has a debt to me. And you're related to this person who's related to this person who has a debt to me. And you're related to this person to this person who has... And she ties, she all the ties them all to her. She makes this case that like everybody in that room owes their fealty to her. And then she says, and that man killed my son. Now, she was wrong. <laughs> but the, yeah, but again, it's, great it's a example. brilliant example of like, that's the power of the queen. It's not yeah, yeah, do yeah. what I say because I'm the biggest and the strongest in the room. No. It's do what I say because of the relationships and the interrelationships that and, are present. And then I, that's why I love the Banrian as a, as a thing as because it's, it's, not, it's not saying you don't do that as a ruler, but it's saying first and foremost, I'm a ruler and it doesn't matter what my sex is. Yeah. Woman, king, man, Nail, man, man king, king. You know, like it's a king. That's king, the king is a king deal. is a king. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Like, <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I, I also think it's really interesting when you kind of look at, and I'm sure I've said this before, when you when you think of these words and you de-gender these words and you kind of go, okay, there are warriors yeah. and there are kings and there are druids. And in Irish mythology... Some of those warriors are women. Some of those druids are women. Some of those kings are women. Sure, sure. And it's just kind of, it, it, we need to say it these days because we have grown used to a society and a context where those roles are very much uh, occupied by men, particularly when we think of antiquity. Yeah. We just kind of don't think of women as being in those roles. Like the thing of how we used to think of doctor as being like a male job. Sure. Whereas I think that's much more uh, broken down ah, now, you know. Um, anyway. Well, let's go back to the story. So, yeah. Cla- but again, Clorue uh, fascinates me because she has this whole other world and she spent so much time over in the other world, kind of just stepped in the veil there for a while and came back. And you explicitly said she came back not mad, <laughs> which means, which you know, alerts me to go, ah, she was fucking mental. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. was definitely mental. Well, this is definitely, there's, <laughs> there's a kind of, I think there's a, Terry Pratchett said it where there's there's a he has this description in one of his books there's a certain kind of insanity that isn't insanity it's where you go through sanity and out the other side yeah. and that that's my kind she of she kind of saw too room. much she was in the room and she could sit she could see the fae in, in the corner and she could see oh, yeah. the magic kind of leaking out of the tap you're like ah uh, yeah she's yeah, she's yeah yeah she's she's a different kind of crazy and like. Yeah, she just, I mean, there's, there, I have never been able to find much of a story about Clover. 
So a lot of uh, a lot of the way that I kind of talk about her in stories is kind of my interpretation of her, um, which I always want to. I always feel like I need to be kind of clear on that because lest people think of me as some kind of authority. <laughs> yeah, well, danger, danger. I mean, danger. Uh, we're constantly learning. Like, Jesus, I'm having a great time with um. Oh, I'll put a couple of photos up up on the old Instagram now after this of the fo- of the books we're reading at the moment. I got a couple of great presents. Um, yes and and it's it, we're, i'm constantly learning and it's it's great to have this as uh, a device to be able to put out what, what we're able to put totally. out and and like when you find nuggets like our characters like chloru that doesn't quite you know make sense yeah. then that gives it open to the level of creativity that that we enjoy in kind of tales where we yeah. can explore what that type of person would be how it makes yes. sense then from kind of a from an author point of and view, I, I think that's a really important thing, and I think that's something that you kind of brought a lot as well, a, a lot of as well from your background in acting and kind of dramaturgy of like, because it's it's easy and to me somewhat cheap storytelling to kind of go like this person did the things that they did because they're a bad guy, um, whereas if you actually try and take a character and go okay, we know what she did. What kind of person does it make perfect sense for them to do that? Mm. What, what, how, if I get myself into that person's head, how do I make that course of action make sense to me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the kind of thing where you're like, all right, she wanted to be the mother of kings. Everything else doesn't doesn't matter. Nothing else fucking (laughs) mattered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it didn't matter. Her sister was married to an abusive man. He was a fucking king. And he was going to father kings. And they were going to be great kings. And like that kind of one track mind, it didn't matter that this was her brother, it didn't matter that this was her son, like to have that kind of terrifying singular focus, mm. um, that's the way the club would make sense to me. Sure. I mean, like it's, it, again, she, she definitely, I kind of have her as a bit of a twinkle of madness in the eye, but at yeah. the same time, before the whole incest with the brother happens, or the brothers uh, she tries to convince them not to rise up against their and her father and yeah. the high king of Ireland and go which, don't do this big bad thing which is where this kind of which is where my read on her is like she's not the giggling and dribbling in the corner kind of crazy because she's very very clear eyed on certain things yeah and like she's very clear eyed and like you rising up in rebellion is a bad idea and by the way, this is another episode of Professor McNessa being a fucking snake. Oh, man. Because yeah. he talks these triplets into rebelling against their father, the High King, and then he joins the battle on the side of the High King. What is that about? Fucks them over. Completely fucked. That was about fucking them over. That, that was, was about fucking over the High King because poor Oki Fidelic never recovered from fighting his bro- fighting his sons. Yeah. Like it was it was, you know, it was a political move and it was a piece of political and strategic genius that requires you to be I'm just matching the die hard, you know, the die hard scene where the fucking guys go across here. They they drop the weapons and they cro- cross, and they everyone's like rah, and then they like the the Scots get sent or the Irish oh. get sent in to fight. You you mean Braveheart? What did I say? You, Braveheart. You said die hard. <laughs> I was Braveheart. like, what <laughs> fucking what fucking bit of die hard? Braveheart. Right? <laughs> I was in the films, Oregon. Right? I was could see it. You they sure were. were. You were could all, see it. They I mean, were all yelling. They were wearing kilts. It was a whole names, big thing. you know, fucking. And it was. I was like, Nagatomi, Nagatomi, Nagatomi. Oh, wrong, 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 wrong. Um, so yeah, we talked a little bit about Claro. 
Okay. Um, she goes to the other world, comes back, is a bit mental. She, she sleeps she with her brothers. Killed, uh, yeah. Is the main <laughs> point that I was going to get to. Right. And this is the inciting incident for the way that Maeve is killed. Yes. Which is Maeve is killed by her nephew, Ferbida. So, Ferbida grows. I, I think these are two really interesting points now that we get down to which, which fingers will I pick? These two. So, I don't um, know what number we're on of our list. Well, it's fine. But one of the topics is how Maeve thinks she can get away from the things in her past by going off to an island and, and retiring and forgetting about all the things and all the people that she uh, mm-hmm. had a hand in destroying and lives that she blah blah and decides to go off and you can never get away from that. And the other one is this motivation that Ferbridge has that drives him on incessantly, endlessly, only focused on avenging his mother. He's and, his mother's son in some way. You know? So you and have like, this kind of like... He's also uh, a boy raised in Ulster. And the Ulster people do not like telling good stories about Maeve. Well, like, this is... So let's talk. Let's just talk about Maeve for a minute. Okay. Because I think Maeve is a... One of the reasons that I find Maeve absolutely wonderful and fascinating and brilliant as a character is, like, most of the time if you read a version of the Tawn. Maeve is the bitch queen from the West who's just does everything because she's fucking evil. And why does she do all of these things? Because fuck you, that's why. And she's completely one note and she's completely painted as bad. And partly, part of the reason why she's painted as bad is because she is trying to occupy a male position of power. She's trying to lead warriors as a woman. And that's one of the things, and I think this is, like, there are so many things in Irish, there's so many layers to Irish mythology of, like, different people retelling the stories with different agendas. And, like, I remember us telling the story in Galway once, where, or one of the first times we were in Galway Theatre Festival, where we mentioned the, the fact that Maeve needs seven men to satisfy her in a day. And there was this, there was a woman from Germany in the audience, and she just sat up and beamed. Yeah. And, like, never heard a promiscuous woman described... Like where the promiscuity is her strength and not her weakness, yeah, yeah, yeah. because that is in our culture reserved exclusively for men. If you're a woman and you sleep with a lot of people, you're a fucking slut. slut. If you're a man and you sleep with a lot of people, you're a hero. And Maeve completely breaks that down. Yeah. And like, there's something I'm, but I'm not interested. And I said this to you the other night. I'm not interested in. So I'm I'm interested in somewhat redeeming Maeve. Because I am interested in her as a complex character. And she's a complex character. And, but I'm and, not interested in redeeming her to be a good guy. But again... Like, well, because I'm not say, interested in that division. But there is no, again, good and bad are very pointless. Even our father, whose office we're sitting in right now, hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, he's a psychotherapist. And uh, he comes up with nuggets every now and again. And he says, there are no... One of the things he said to me was, there is no such thing as a good or a bad choice. There's no such thing as good things or bad things that you do. There are only those things that you would be able to live with yourself after you do them. So you have a consequence that you know will happen after you do it. And if you can live with that and you're okay with it and it suits your morals and your standing, yeah. then go ahead and do it. But if, if you ha- will be racked by guilt and remorse yeah. and w- this will upset your balance of life and your men- mental state, then don't fucking do it. Then don't do you, it. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Know? And like... That's where I think, you know, and I think that's that's very in line with the the way that Irish mythology works as well. Like you don't, we've often talked about this. There's no, no real good, good guys and no bad guys. Bad. 
Because um, there's a grey mess in between, and well, obviously you. They're all people, and they're larger than life people, and their 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 actions are bigger, and their consequences are bigger. Yeah. Than most of us yeah, who yeah, live yeah. our our normal size lives. Because they're kings and woman kings, and, and lots of people. I <laughs> like Maeve. I really like the character of Maeve as an anti-hero. I, I do not think she is a good hero. I think she is a fucking brilliant anti-hero. So explain to me what exactly an anti-hero well, is. Well, like we see this, and and we this is this is the the hero or the person that you are rooting for in the story, who is not good, who is not wholly good, but who has enough in them that is sympathetic and likable. And there's also something about the anti-hero where they do the things that we sometimes wish that we could get away with doing ourselves. Like if you think about one of the great anti-heroes of recent times is Walter White in Breaking Bad. And a huge number of people fucking loved him. Not because he's good, hmm. but because he does the shit and says the shit, the shit that we kind of wish we could get away with. Right. And I think that's where Maeve is really, really strong. Mm -hmm. As a character, I think she's a brilliant anti-hero. Because... She is, like, she's powerful, she's beautiful, she's, she gives no shits about whether you like her or not. Very little fucks given in that direction, yeah. And yet, she is a balancer of this world and the other world. Mm -hmm. There are stories of, like, the incursions from Khan oh, into Connacht. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like the way that she manages and mitigates and deals with these forces is incredible. I'm sure she's she goes a taker to the gnat to like call those monsters. Call the like monsters forth. Fucking, yeah. Like she has them, she has them, she has negotiated with them to the point that they actually listen to her mm -hmm. and respond to her. And like she's she is a taker in of refugees. Uh, to the extent that, like that there is there is a there is a historical Queen Maeve of Connacht who took in the refugees of the Isani, who were the tribe that rebelled against the, the Romans in Britain. Um the Budachia, the great Celtic warrior king of Britain. Cool. Maeve took in her daughters. Uh -huh. Maeve took in her the refugees of that tribe. And like Maeve took in the Ulster exiles in the myth when they are kicked out of house and home. And like, she's got this wonderful way, it happens in the Champion Fortune as well, where the lads are sent down to Crook on Eye, where yeah, like, yeah. she's like, okay, first open the gate and have a feast. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. after three days of feasting, then we ask somebody, so what brought you here? We, 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 and yeah, I just yeah, yeah. think that's like, we'll come back we'll to come that back another back. time, we'll but I think that's, that that's a, <laughs> like, that again is such a power move of like, your, your worst enemy turns up at your doorstep. But she is really fascinating in that not only is she like the like the, she's the go-to place for Fergus McRoy to go to when she has the go-to for she seems to be the go-to for a lot of people for a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. Like she's even the go-to for Crahor to settle that dispute that comes up that we will be talking about later in January. Yeah, 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 and it's it, it's she's Much as so he kind of fucking hates it, heavily <laughs> tied in with the Ulster cycle. They share a border, but there's something more than that too. You know, like. Um, I'm reading a book that's trying to bring back some level of mythology to the Egonata uh, in Cashel and the monster stories that were kind of forgotten and, and you have the Hilatara in Leinster and you have 
well, Miss Leinster now was mean, but like you have like areas that are quite kind of myth mythic in in Leinster, but. Ulster and Connacht have the Ulster cycle that yeah. they constantly battle yeah. and, and it's they're, always they're the, Connacht and, and Ulster. They're the great enemies because at that time they were the two main tribes. They the mm-hmm. Ullad and the and the, the people of Connacht were the were the true the two most established centers of kind of civilization in some ways. Right. Um but yeah, and no, again, like I, I find not the only ones. And again it sure. is it is one of the funny things about the regionality of Irish mythology. I was just about to say, yeah. That like, you might read a book about the town in which Maeve is the bad bad guy and Cormac Ness is the good guy and that's often how it's told. And you might read a book uh, where the Fomorians are the bad guys and the two of the Danon are the good guys. But if you go to Donegal, Balor of the Evil Eye is not a baddie. He's a trickster rogue and he's a fucking king and he's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the theatre there is named after him. The Balor National Theatre is in Donegal. Um, and if you go to Connacht, Queen Maeve is a, not a villain. Yeah, she was. She's a cairn in Sligo. And, like, you know, Sligo is so steeped in myths and Yeats totally stories. Totally steeped in myths. And, 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 like, and, like, so you, you, you already in Ireland, because these figures are so rooted in their places, the people of those places will ally themselves with the characters that are from their place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're not gonna like you're not gonna get away with vilifying Maeve and Sligo. No. Like it's So in, it's it I think it's great because it really breaks down that whole dichotomy of good versus evil that I think is so like I always I, I, I hate it. I hate it in myths, I don't like it. I think it's fucking it's oversimplifying, it's always an oversimplification. And so I really like the more that we can kind of break it down and break it down. And get to the interesting part of these characters, the um, better, I think. What, what's interesting for me is a very simple, I'm trying to run, run away from my past, I'm trying to ignore all the shit I did. Whether she killed Clotheroo or not, she had enough blood in her hands she to be had killed a by lot of fucking somebody. Like the fact that she amasses, like I, we'll be telling yeah. next week, the death of Coo Cullen, and she's the one who spearheads that one. Yeah. And she has a vendetta against Coo Cullen. Yeah. One of the reasons that she gets vilified, I think, is because the great hero Coo Cullen, who as Irish people, we all want to associate with, we want to have his t-shirt, we all want to, like, you know, have that as the hero. Oh, well, he's, the, he's the golden him. boy. Sure. And she's his antagonist. And and therefore, you want to, like, pick Cougullin's side, not Maeve. Yeah. And, and, but, like, it's not, again, it's an oversimplification to do yeah. that. And so, what happens in that story, she amasses an army to go against him and brings about his death. But she thinks and, she can run and away. That's from another I mean, that's also another story of like the reason she's able to amass an army to go against him is because nobody in Ireland is left who doesn't have a blood debt against Cucullin. Yeah. Like Literally. but but you're right, like she she does that. She brings all of his chickens home to roost yeah. on top of him. And then she, sometime later she retires and she goes to live out her life in peace. And like this is after Fergus McRoy has died. This is after Oliel McMothock has died, which we'll also hear about in the death of Conal Carnock because that's how Oliel McMothock died. <laughs> <laughs> Great story, though. Yeah. And like all of these, all of these big relationships in her life have come to an end. Um, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure in the timeline whether she outlives Gregor McNessa or not. But if she doesn't outlive Cahor McNessa, he is at that point you know, that we heard of a couple of weeks ago where he's living this his, his half-life. 
So he's either half dead or wholly dead. Yeah. Cucullin is dead. Like her great battles had been fought. Her great victories had been won. All of her kind of great and terrible deeds are behind her. And she goes to this island on this lake. And I mean, living on an island on a lake, it's, it's a well defended position. So I do not think that she thinks that she's going to be immune from somebody coming after her. And I think that's why she picks that place. I think it is it is a it is a defendable mm. location, and like there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of Irish building that was done on on kind of crannogs in the middle of lakes for that reason because yeah, it was defensible, yeah, yeah. but Fir finds her, and my fascination with the way the Fir story was told, and I did kind of lean on this. You did, yeah, My yeah. telling was that the first reason that she catches his eye is because she's still really beautiful, and his. Her nephew, by this doubly incestuous woman, Clotru, yeah. his first reaction to seeing Maeve is, who, who's that? And then he's told that it's Maeve. And then he goes, oh, right, the woman who killed my mother. I better do something about this. But he, uh, he sets himself that task. He sets himself that task of, he measures the distance to her bathing spot. He measures the height of Maeve. And he trains for a year to be able to make the shot. Because, like, don't... Like, this is... He makes himself into a sniper. Mm. Like, he basically kind of invents being a sniper in order to kill his aunt. Because I think the other thing is, like, don't forget, she's still fucking dangerous. Yeah. Like, I think there's a reason he kills her by a sniper shot. I don't think... Like, in a culture that values single combat, that values, um, you know... He doesn't roll up to her. Like, she's a warrior. She is and again, repeatedly depicted as warrior. It's very she unusual. She kills people in single combat. But it's very unusual. And we'll, we'll, we'll be talking about, like, the the moral and the moral ambiguity with, with you know, the death, death of um, uh, Colin Kiernock, which is a load of that tied into it, you know. So much. But, like, it, it, it's this, like, hang on a second. You killed my mother, so therefore you should be allowed a chance at retribution and... and, and the challenge would be accepted but he clearly doesn't want or isn't honourable enough himself to to go about about to read that way like there's there's multiple ways that you could read that now you could read it as like he's a male warrior and that the Ulster tribe seem much more into their gender roles than the Connacht tribe so like you could read it as a man doesn't want to fight a woman and that there wouldn't be honour in, in a single combat if you were fighting a female warrior you could yeah. absolutely read that. It would that make way. a lot of sense. Sometimes. You could read it that she's too fucking dangerous. Still, she's too scary, and he doesn't think that he can take her one on one. Which also makes perfect sense to me. Um, like you, there's multiple ways that you could kind of look at that, and and ways to make sense of his motivation. I didn't, I didn't give it. Uh, I didn't come down on one side or the other particularly strongly because I think that's more interesting when it's left open to it definitely is. interpretation. I, I love the but I love the idea of like right, this is going to catch her off guard and I'm going to mm-hmm. kill her from far away and she won't have a chance to defend herself. You could also you know? read it as a mercy kill. It, you know, I, yeah. that just popped into my head as you were talking because it is, it's like bolt from the blue right into the fucking side of the head and she's dead before she even realises that she's been hit. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, a, yeah. it's a headshot. Like, that's a fucking... No, question. He... Doesn't have a stone next to him after waiting for this is this is where I find a couple of holes in this 
I'm like, hang on, he's waited for a year. He doesn't just have a few stones choice picked out in his pocket. He, she, he sees her and he reaches for a block of cheese. How hard is the cheese like? Well, this is <laughs> this makes no. This is another one of the bits that doesn't make sense because this is well, like I kind of, I kind of. This is just gnawing at it. I'm fucking gonna throw the cheese at her. Well, this is another thing that is like, um, I did, I did read it that this was, it was suggested in, in by a few different people that this is another way of, of denigrating Maeve. Oh. That this was a way of like she depriving her of a glorious death. There you go. That she was killed by fucking cheese, and so it's kind of comical and it's kind of silly. And that this was a way of, of you know, because there have been so many stories and, and ways of telling and, and ways of leaving certain things out of Maeve's story in order to denigrate her and make her weaker and make her seem more uh, of, a, of, a, of a, yeah, you know, worse and shittier. And so it was kind of like, maybe this was a way of giving her a shitty death, um, that she was killed with a fucking rind of cheese. The other thing that I think might be going on is that there might be a connotation to cheese that we don't have anymore. Because I think that's one of the things that can sometimes happen. And it's a little bit like, like, these are very old stories. I'm not scholar enough. I'm not fucking good enough to know which, uh, where the, which is the oldest version. And like, there's also so many texts missing from the record. And there's so many stories that were never written down. So, I mean, I'm kind of curious about like, I wonder, is there, is there a meaning that we once had to cheese that we don't have anymore. Mm -hmm. Like maybe maybe this is symbolic. But it's it's really interesting. Like when you're when you're looking at stories from a different culture or from an older culture that, that has you know, we we the the, the culture here has been um uh, broken several times and in several places. So there there's no direct line of continuity back to when these stories were composed for various reasons and like maybe maybe there was a meaning to this maybe mm. this me maybe there was some kind of uh portentous meaning to to this particular type of hard cheese that we just don't fucking know about anymore not pretentious portentous i said i know that's why i said i'm just laughing all right not, no it's not pretentious it's portentous portentous cheese pretentious cheese is a different thing because i have a lot of uh, pretentious ideas of uh, about cheese you know i mean i've yeah. got I've, I've eaten a lot of pretentious cheese over the last couple of weeks that's a, because a lot of cheese in general because cheese words are a thing and they're, and they're amazing like, with like fruit in it some smelly some not so oh, smelly oh yeah they're super pretentious um, they're I very don't think, pretentious I don't think they kill you no matter how hard mind you do you know what it happens a lot in Irish mythology because I'm now thinking of the sons of Tyrion throwing an apple at somebody's head and it goes through his head and out the other side ah, but an apple and Cucullin does that as well he, it's he like there's, apples are not harder than skulls no matter how hard you throw it Cheese is not harder than your skull. I mean, like, no. the apple thing makes sense. Like, you know, you get a fucking good apple. Like, fucking belted. It like. would, it would hurt you. Oh, if you threw it, like, If you threw it hard enough for the apple to actually fully smush, it would fully smush off your head. If you're in the temple, like, fuck, I'd say no. Can somebody who does science please like Mythbusters this and like I reckon you could get a material that's as hard as a skull and hit an apple off it and see which breaks first. Shoot out a bazooka at it. 
It doesn't matter how hard you hit it. I mean, it would. If it's not, no, it wouldn't go through the night to the other side. I mean, that part, yeah, sure. Yeah, being killed by saying. it. Being the killed by it part. Well, I'm, I'm less sure of that because I think if you hit somebody in the eye with an apple and it was a small enough, hard enough apple and it was going hard enough, you would probably do some serious damage. Exactly. Right. I'm um, saying right. apples are not harder than skulls. You heard it here, folks. You heard it here first. Later's I'm going on the record here. Later's apples cheese. are not harder than skulls. And cheeses are lots softer again. And cheeses, well, it's some pretty hard cheeses. But again, cheese is not harder than the skull. True. It, True. Do you know what? If it was harder than the skull, it was definitely fucking way inedible it, for Burbage. It kind of leads to like. that. In, oh, for fuck's sake. Burbage, <laughs> like, what are you doing? Like, why would you not oh have stones in your pocket? You complete fuck. And Egypt. Um, well, this is what I mean. Like, there's no logical reason for it. So there has to be an other reason for it. And either cheese meant something different to our ancestors, or somebody was trying to make Maeve look like a fucking asshole. Or, and hear me out, right? Or, or I've got another idea. Or there, there's, there's a way of elevating a, a form of status for the killer, for the thrower, the thrower of the apple through the brain. Um, He's like, not only did I kill him, I killed him with an apple and knocked his brain out. Yeah. And so Ferguson ma- managed to not only kill her, but kill her with cheese. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. You know, like it's own, maybe it's Which actually more Maybe impressive. it's more about bigging him up because that's, I mean, the people who kill people with apples are like Ku Cullen and one of the sons of Turin. Turin yeah. And it is a little bit about bigging them up and making them cool. So maybe. Which, maybe, but then also there's not that much about Ferbridge. I mean, Ferbridge was just doomed from the start, really. Like, yeah. <laughs> just a weird guy with bull horns who kind of weirdly fancied his aunt and then yeah, murdered her. Murder, yeah. A happy note in them. I'd yeah. <laughs> um, Poor Ferbida. Listen. Um, never had a chance. Never had a chance. Uh, Although we, I'm prob- it was probably better for him that his mother was killed on the day he was born because that's who his mother was. And yeah, he was... Yeah, it wasn't, gonna it, it wasn't going to be good anyway. No, like, not, not with Sutter Rose's No, fuck that. So, um, we are still in Cork. We are re- recording these and leaving them out uh, on a timely fa- matter because mainly we want to free up our time to be doing the storytelling course on yes. weekend starting the 9th of January, which is going to be exciting. Uh, we are excited to be doing that and continuing the death series, which has two more stories. Two more stories in the death series. The third last one. And then we are... Hang on a second. I just want to mention something about the death, the death series. It might seem untimely to be doing stories about death at this time, which is hilarious. Because <laughs> because the first... I don't think I mentioned this on Paul's Show Chat before, but because the last time we went into lockdown early in March, um, and we were, the death in Kukulin was lined up. Yeah. And it was ready to go. And we were like, ah, fuck, no, we can't. We can't release the I death know. of Kukulin. Like just oh, we're going back into lockdown in Ireland now for the month of January. And, and we're if finishing off our death series. random time. And we, we, we try and line these things up with like, you know, a, a month or six weeks in advance. Well, I think, I think with the death <laughs> series. And, and another lockdown and another Kukulin story. Another Kukulin. The death of Kukulin is right back on schedule at the start of the lockdown. And so, more, oh God, I had to record it about five times as well. Yeah, uh, you had oh, trouble was, with that one. Oh my God, so many issues. We'll but you know what, it's concluding week. with a nice snappy little story about the death of Conan Kernock, who's deadly and hilarious. Yeah, so, you know, and it. you know, and from then, death, life leads on, all that sort of stuff. Yes. It's all about the... Death is not to be feared. And do you know what, I think that was kind of where we got to with, with the whole death series and why we decided to put it out when we did in December, because it was kind of like, look, 
we're not at the end of this whole situation. We're not going to be at the end of this whole situation for a good while. So we can't keep pretending that death doesn't exist on a podcast because it super does. And so many of our stories are about it. And, you know, I, I think that there's something lovely about the death stories because the the opinion of our ancestors was that as long as somebody was talking about you, you were effectively still alive. And yeah. I really like that idea because I think that's wonderful. Because, you know, our grandparents are still alive. All of them. Not just the one who's still hanging on, but like every single oh one of them is still alive because we still talk about them. Um, and honest, like, honestly, I, I thought we were going to follow up last week. We talked about how brilliant it was that we have a little nephew in the world yeah. coming in. We put in Guatemala as a, as a newborn kid. And I thought we'd be talking about this week, well. weekend uh, about the... Uh, passing of her grandmother and she she's, managed to put herself back she's decided to stay for another bit she's God 99 she's soon to be 100 if she lasts her 100th I don't know like I don't she's, know. she's extraordinary she anyway, has been knocking on, on, on <laughs> she's been knocking on heaven's door for about 4 years and she's decided again to stick around so fair play to her um, I guess but um, like yeah no it's it's listen it's not to be feared it's it's not to be that's uh, the denied. Thing. Yeah, that's the thing. And I think it's... that's why we kind of came back to it, even though this yeah, yeah, global yeah. pandemic is still working its way through all of us. But um, it's it's that it's that meditation on death. It's the you know see that your life is going to be coming to an end relatively soon in the great scheme of things, and not to be afraid of that, but to embrace it and make exactly. the best of the time that we have while we have it, okay. which is kind exactly. of whole point until fucking great stories when you have a chance absolutely Isn't that the so whole point? thanks very much for listening to us shite on for a while and thanks very much for joining us and if you're watching this on youtube that's for not, you she just winked at the camera really weirdly i did a finger gun it was awesome you didn't see it because you're not on youtube uh, so, so if you would like to see it on youtube you can go over and like and subscribe to our youtube channel you can find us on Patreon. What in the name of God my you hair is doing right now? It looks fine. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's good. I mean, um, everyone's hair looks mental. It's a lockdown. You can see my fluffy bunny slippers <laughs> uh, on YouTube. My YouTube Crocs. exclusive. Aaron's <laughs> gross Crocs. Hey, Thank you. These are my Guru Crocs. <laughs> guru guru Crocs. gave me my Crocs. Yeah. These are Guru Crocs. Aaron's Guru okay, gave awesome. me Crocs. And they're very comfortable and he loves them very, very I much. I do. And um, uh, do go check out McDowell's Pig on our YouTube page as well because that was a story that we kind of didn't really big up all that much. But it's, it's released it was, it's on YouTube. It, it all happened very quickly. But happen we, really uh, quickly. we recorded it thanks to the folks at the Dunleary Lexicon and it's up on YouTube and it's, it's, a, it's a live performance. Well, I mean, we, it's live in the sense that we didn't really do many cuts. And the musicians were there with us when we were telling the story, which is like delightfully unusual these days. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah it is actually. It was a little bit of get together, it was nice. It was and hopefully, twenty twenty one will have more live gigs. We'll be able to get out there and do a thing towards the end of the year, probably. Ah, uh, we've got we'll be doing I'm, some fun stuff. But anyway, um, listen, keep in touch with us and let us know if you have any questions or comments or stuff. Uh, we're not going to be doing the live streams in January, but I'd love it if anybody had any questions or observations on the podcast as they come out. Um, you know, send them into us because yeah, we might yeah, be able to still kind of include we, your your we, comments. We do get the odd question or comment here and there, and they're we great. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in, for listening in. Keep healthy, keep safe, keep sound, and yeah, that's all from us. Grow more, you. <laughs>